0: Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Lesson 15, Job 21. What do you know? Another whole week of Job. I mean, I, I sense the inner excitement in each one of you as you're listening. Some of you have been watching and listening and tuning in from your bathrooms, at your kitchen uh, tables. Maybe you're driving on the road, you know, in northern Indiana. Maybe you're even listening in Liberia. But I have to tell you, today's lesson for me, you know, as, as I pressed in, you know, you're kind of like, Lord, how are you going to do this again? I have no problem just telling you this. And in this context, here's what I do. I always pull back and I say, Lord, highlight one section, one verse that could speak to specifically somebody today. And I'm excited about this topic today because I think it's a topic that many of us, including myself, struggle. We talk about waiting on the Lord. But when you wait on the Lord, the reality is is nobody likes to wait. And so what do you do? You force something or you kind of try to start moving around in order. It's like to get God to move. And in Job 21, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about waiting on the Lord. Now, remember, if you pull back for a second, you've got Job and you've got three buddies, if you can call them that. You have Eliphaz, you have Bildad, and you have Zophar. Now, we have Pastor Gordy and Pastor Tom here with us this week and I wouldn't be surprised if they pull out some of their cheesy jokes. Okay, so just, it might spice some things up a little bit, you know. If not, Kevin will start talking about swamp monsters. So, we'll always try to make it interesting here at Revive School. So, if you need a visual for Job, Kevin, let's go to our our little buddies here, just so you have a, a visual here. Here you have Job. Job's dealing with all kinds of issues. And these guys are just appalled, and they're so appalled that they continue to rip on Job. You have Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they might change over the course of time with their pictures just because we need it to change. But I want to give you a backdrop. Okay, now remember this. Job 19, Job replies to Bildad. Job 20, Zophar, Zophar talks. In Job 21, Job is responding to Zophar. But the reality is every time Job talks, yes, he speaks to his three friends, but he's also speaking to the bigger picture. It's always that context. Yeah, I'm going to respond to what you just said, but I need everybody to listen. And so in Job 21, here we go. Verse one, it just says this. Then Job answered. Verse two, he says, pay close attention to my words. In other words, if I'm Job, you know what I want to do? I want to grab this dude's beard. You know, and I want to just, my daughter was talking about a fight in their junior high, right? You just want to grab the hair. My daughter didn't do this, but you want to grab the hair, throw them down and then sit on them. <laughs> That was a fight in junior high. Some girl grabbed the hair and sat on a girl. I think sometimes that's what Job wants to do with these guys. He wants to sit on them and say, pay close attention to my words. Let this be the consolation you offer. In other words, you know, Kevin, we've always had this phrase at Time Revive, love, listen, discern, and respond. All Job wants is somebody to listen to him. All he wants is somebody, please stop judging me. Can you just hear my heart? Can you just sympathize with me? You know, and we've always said this quote. My mom always used to say this. You know, it's better, you know, you should listen because you have two ears and one mouth. I actually found the legit source of where this came from. You know, when you quote a guy named Zeno, a Greek philosopher, you have probably found the original source. Anyway, he says, the reason why we have two ears and only one mouth is that we may listen the more and talk the less. And that's really all Job is saying. Guys, just stop talking. So, Kevin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Job 13:5 because it is definitely it summarizes Job 21:2. It actually summarizes all of Job's heart towards his friends. Just shut up. Oh, that's what the scripture says. If only you would shut up and let that be your wisdom. Job's like, you know what? I, I'm done with you. Stop talking. It's like diary of the mouth. Stop. Did I just say that? <laughs> It fits with Job. It totally fits with Job. It's like these guys, they just keep talking and talking. And then, and then he says in verse 3, bear with me while I speak. In other words, if you have to put up with me, just bear in there with me. Then after I have spoken, then you may continue mocking. He has to tell his friends, okay, and then you can start mocking me. And then in verse 4, watch what he does. And this is where we're going to run with our theme today. He says, as for me, is my complaint against a man? Well, is his complaint against a man? No, his complaint is against God. Then why shouldn't I be impatient? Like God really isn't responding. Do you understand this? Like this isn't my deal. I I don't understand what this whole thing is. God is not responding. I'm getting impatient. I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just like, God, when are you going to show up? So your complaints against me, it's not even helping. I'm going to come back to verse 4, but let's finish out 5, 6, and 7 here. And Scripture just says, look at me and shudder. Put your hand over your mouth. And when I think about it, (laughs) I am terrified and my body trembles in horror. Job is just longing. He has one request, and I love what Constable says. Like, would you just please listen to me? I just want somebody to hear me and all job is just saying is somebody please pay attention to me and listen and so i don't really need your comments just put your hand over your mouth i'm tired of your perspective i just need a friend to put their arm around me and say job it's okay nobody wants to touch the boil man though and so uh, I want to come back to verse four, but I want to I want to paint a big picture here. So this is the context. And so in this process, in verse seven through 16, you're going to see the wicked and their their prosperity. And it continues. And that's what he's saying. He says in verse seven, why do the wicked continue to live growing old and becoming powerful? Their children are established while they still are alive and their descendants before their eyes. Their homes are secure and free of fear. No rod from God strikes them. Their bulls breed without fail. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They let their little ones run around like lambs. Their children skip about singing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoicing at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and they go down to Sheol in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We don't want to know your ways. In other words, the wicked, it's a practical, as as Nelson says, it's practical atheism right here. God, just leave us alone. Don't bother us. We don't really care. You know, it reminds me of some of the the countries that we're starting to visit all over the world. And it's like this practical atheism. Oh, yeah, there's a religion, but we don't really care about God. Just let us do our own thing. And this is the wicked mentality says, who is the almighty that we should serve him? What will we gain by pleading with him? But their prosperity is not of their own doing. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. And then in verse 17 through 26, I know I'm just reading through this on purpose because I, I just want to focus on one thing, but I, I want you to get the big picture here. Uh, Job wants to be heard, but yet despite all of this, he says, yeah, but your argument, you remember the whole argument, you guys, is like, it, it's, it's silly. You know, it's a silly argument. The wicked get punished because they're wicked and the blessed get the blessing because they're good. And what is Job saying here? Well, the wicked are prosperous in this context. So your argument of retribution is actually not working because what is happening? Well, it just seems to me that the wicked are still prosperous. And he says in verse 17, though, now watch this. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Does disaster come on them? Does he apportion destruction as anger? Are they like straw before the wind, like a chaff a storm sweeps away? God reserves a person's punishment for his children. Let God repay the person himself so that he may know it. Let his own eyes, remember, he's just saying, please listen to me at this time. Let his own eyes see his demise. Let him drink from the Almighty's wrath. For what does he care about his family once he's dead? When the number of his months has run out. Can anyone teach God's knowledge since he judges the exalted one? One man die. one person dies in excellent health, completely secure and at ease. And then he just says, look, I don't understand, but I'm just going to describe There is a lifelong prosperity for some of these, from some of these wicked. So all he's just saying is, you guys, this is God's deal. God chooses how and when the wicked prosper. You can't use this argument. Like if they sin, they're automatically going to be crushed and sent to hell. You just can't use that argument. In fact, he says in verse 24, his body is well fed, his bones are full of marrow. Yet another person dies with a bitter soul, having never tasted prosperity. So here's his argument again. He's like, look, somebody here has never even tasted prosperity and they're dying early. So your whole argument of one thing deserves this and another it just doesn't work. And it's the same thing that society says, we put God in this box, this is how we're gonna this is how God's gonna look. And Job's saying your argument doesn't even hold water. Crazy enough, you guys, I shared the gospel this last weekend for about an hour, 45 minutes in translation of another language of Farsi. Crazy enough, who would have thought in our church we'd be sharing the gospel with a Muslim couple from Iran and there's a translator from Dallas Bible Church, how crazy is this, that speaks Farsi because she was a missionary for 30 years in Iran. And we're in a little prayer room and she's walking by and then she helps translate the gospel. Now, they didn't receive didn't receive the gospel, but this mentality of a a Muslim is, is that your good has to outweigh your bad. In some ways, you guys, that's what these guys are arguing. They're arguing for you're getting what you deserve. And Job's like, no, that's a stupid argument. It's not holding water. Verse 26, but they both lie in the dust and the worms cover them. So it doesn't matter which side you're on. They're both eventually going to die. In verse 27, I know your thoughts very well. The schemes you could wrong with me. For you say, where now is the nobleman's house and where are the tents the wicked lived in? Have you never consulted those who travel the roads? (laughs) I love this. I'm so not going to teach into this. These are just incredible visuals. Don't you accept their reports? You know, I wonder why do I study this? You know, I only say that because the Lord's just saying, don't teach on any of this. I know where I sense the Lord's leading, but it's just kind of like there's a lot here. Don't don't you accept the reports? Indeed, the evil man, Scripture continues on, is spared from the day of disaster, rescued from the day of wrath. Who would denounce his befa- behavior to his face? Who would repay him for what he has done? He is carried to the grave and somebody, someone keeps watch over his tomb. The dirt on his grave is sweet to him. Everyone follows behind him and those who go before him are without number. So how can you offer such... Me such futile comfort. Your answers are deceptive. Okay, I think you get the big picture here. Job's just arguing, saying, again, uh, your argument is weak based on the wicked deserve to die because they're wicked. I I can prove, he says, a lot of them are prosperous. In fact, they're going to die eventually. Just like somebody that's good, they might even die early. Here's the key, though. How do you wait on the Lord amidst all of this? That's where I want to go amidst the wicked, amidst the good, amidst all of it. I mean, let's just face it. In America, people can't stand one president or they like another president or you're waiting on, on a new job offer or you're waiting to get married or you're just kind of really frustrated. God, where are the finances coming in? Whatever the context is, you're waiting on the Lord to show up. And I love this. There's an article that Linda Green wrote about what to do while waiting on God. And as I was seeking this, if you go back to verse four, Kevin, Job 21, four, it says, as for me, is my complaint against man? It's not. Then why shouldn't I be impatient? I'm trusting that God's going to show up, but I'm growing a little, a little anxious here. Anybody, Kevin, you ever had to relate to this? You, you need an answer and it hasn't come. Tom, have you ever had to wait on the Lord and it hasn't come? Absolutely. <laughs> it's super frustrating in fact, the way that I'm just going to give you the Kyle, what do you do while waiting on God answer? I, you can laugh at this, but I think we all have our own ways to express our, our, our waiting on the Lord. I just go shoot hoops. It's like, for me, I can shoot basketball all day long. I can shoot in the afternoon. I can shoot in the evening I can shoot in the cold. I can shoot in the dark. Literally, doesn't mean it goes in, <laughs> but like it just clears my mind on saying, Lord, what is going on right now? And so Linda Green came up with 10 10 things on what to do while waiting on the Lord. You know, what do you do when your friends are making fun of you and saying you're not in the right place? What do you do when people are questioning? But you know you've heard of the Lord. You know you're supposed to wait on Him. Number one, okay, we're going to just walk through this whole process. And it is going to be a process, okay? First of all, you have to understand the root of waiting on the Lord. You have to believe, okay, that the God who saved you. Because the God who saved you, you have to understand, uh, believe that the God who saved you, guess what? He hears your cries. You have to understand while waiting on the Lord, God hears you. You might be on the bathroom floor weeping your eyes out. You might be in a car and you're just by yourself. You have to believe that God hears you. You have to believe that you're working on the factory line and the the dust is flying everywhere. It's super loud machines. It's a fast paced uh, factory world. God still hears your cries. You have to believe, Kevin, can you go to Micah 7, 7? You got to believe that God hears you. And so you are not lost amidst your cries. And I actually think Job believes that. I actually think God, he believes God hears his cries. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah 7, 7. This right here, you guys, allows you to walk in a a posture of waiting. (laughs) It's weird as that sounds. My God will hear me. And then in number two, what Linda walks through is she just says, then watch with expectancy. Now watch this. This is going to, this is a Garth Brooks song right here. Watch with expectancy, but be prepared... For unexpected answers, can we go to Psalm five three, please? I, you know, it's like you 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 wait for God to show up, but He's going to show up in probably a way that you didn't expect. I love Psalm five three. At daybreak, Lord, you hear my voice. At daybreak, I plead my case to you. And watches, and watch expectantly. So you wake up in the morning. You're in the season of dryness. You're in a season of God. Are you, Are you there, God? Like, have you ever, like, God, hello, I have been doing this, I'm not hearing anything, I'm not sensing anything, and you you have to bank it on, I know God hears me, I know this, and I'm gonna trust that He's gonna answer, I just have to trust that it just, it it might not look how God's gonna answer me. God might answer by actually allowing boils to be all over my body, but that's not what I wanted. But the reality is, is what Job is saying. Look, I'm not impatient with man. I just need God as I'm waiting on you. How do I deal with this? Please trust, trust that he hears your voice and trust that he's going to answer. What's that Garth Brooks song, God? What's that song, you guys? He gives you unanswered prayers, right? You know that? Don't know that. (laughs) Anyway, here's the deal. God, I actually believe God's going to answer your prayers. It just doesn't always look like you thought. And so then number three in this process of, let me just say waiting. I really like this one. You have to understand to put your hope in His Word. It doesn't change. Psalm 130, uh, verses 5 and 6. I think what happens in in the church culture, as followers of Christ, It's almost like we put our hope in the stock market. I'm just giving you examples here. You you know, like, man, I got stocks in two things and they're just like, (laughs) right? If you put your hope in that, your world is like this all the time. And Job has to understand just what the psalmist says. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. The word, the canon, the measuring rod, the word that never changes And then in verse six, it just says this, I wait for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. I wait for the Lord and I put my hope in his word. So you want to know how you counter waiting? You got to be in this thing. Revive school. One of the points is to make this a part of your daily life. I just think sometimes when you open up the newspaper, you turn on the the Sunday or the evening news and You start looking at all the bombings, how one country just flew missiles to another country to get ready to fight against the U.S., and then you find one terrorist group's been, you know, building tunnels under one tunnel to get to another to blow up another country. Man, if you put your hope in any of that, you guys, man, it's just. We need to put our hope in His Word. Number four, if you can, we're just talking about what do you do when life is hard? How do you wait on Him in this process? Understand, he's going to hear your cries. Understand that he's going to hear your cries, and he might answer it differently. And then, in this process, you put your hope in the Word. Don't put it in the papers. Don't put it in the stocks. Don't put it in even. Ready for this? In in, in relationships, you have to put your hope in His Word. And number four, uh, and again, God could speak to you in any of these. It doesn't mean He has to be all of these. Is that I want you to understand trust in the Lord. This is a very classic one. Not in your own understanding. While you're waiting, I think we try Proverbs 3, Kevin, verse 5 and 6. I wonder, I wonder what God's doing right now. I wonder why my life is miserable. And then you begin to try to figure out yourself, right? And then you try to put all of these little pieces together and God's just kind of laughing like, that's so not what I intended, (laughs) In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. If he tried to understand this, you guys, Job, it makes no sense. He's lost his kids. He's lost his house. He's losing his animals. He's losing his friends. And if he relies on his own understanding, it doesn't work. But then in verse 6, he says, you think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right path. So while you're waiting on the Lord, you focus on him. I'm not talking about yoga, settling yourself. I'm not talking about doing certain things of exercises that bring relief. I'm not talking about even I'm just saying now for basketball for a second, going out there. You guys, I'm just saying none of that actually ultimately works unless you put your eyes on him. All of those other things cannot be the answer to your guidance. Crazy enough, Christians, even in this time, I wonder what the horoscope says in the morning news. Like these are the kind of things, though, like when we go to a Chinese restaurant, we can all laugh. We open up our little, you know, crack. What are those things? Fortune. Fortune. Fortune cookies. Thank you. And you're like, dude, look at what I got, man. This is awesome. Like, no, please trust in the Lord, not in your own understanding. Number five, this comes from Linda Green. What to do while waiting on God? Again, any of these could speak to your hearts. So it doesn't have to be all of them. And I, I think this is a really good one. I love this one. Resist. You ready for this? Fretting. <laughs> Refrain from anger. Be still. And here, here's the, here's what you have to do. You have to choose patience. Can you go to a Psalm 37, Kevin, verse seven and eight? Psalm 37, verse seven and eight. So here here it is. Job is fe- facing a lot of disaster, right? He's facing a lot of controversy from his friends. Resist fretting. It would have been easy, honestly, at this point to start grabbing this dude's beard. It would have been easy to pull the headband over his eyes and then like <laughs> just start going crazy on these guys. Like I just, your anger would start kicking in. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way. By the man who carries out evil plans. Verse 8, Refrain from anger. Give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. In other words, as you're waiting on the Lord, don't hit somebody. As you're waiting on the Lord, don't yell and raise your voice. As you're waiting on the Lord, don't swear and then all of a sudden start turning to the bottle. Don't start turning to, you know, the drugs, to the marijuana. I'm I'm totally serious, you guys. What happens is when people, when they think they're waiting on the Lord and they get tired of this, they turn to stupid things. They do dumb things that they normally wouldn't do. And I would just say, stop, choose patience. And it's a song, it's the Psalm 46. It's just stop fighting, resist fighting and be still and know that I'm God. So just resist I think right here, honestly, out of all of these, some of us automatically go to that right away. Number six, what you have from the Linda Green survey. What do I do while waiting on God? It's a classic one, but it's just be strong and take courage. I don't know, somebody today, you know, even my kids, man, my kids that go to public school, I mean, it's hard. School is hard with kids. Kids are ruthless. And you have to be strong and take courage amidst it all. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and courageous. So the strong and courageous actually parallel waiting for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Number seven, what you have from Linda Green's survey is see it. And this is a really good one. This is a a glasses half full not a glass is half empty perspective, okay? So number seven is is that you have to see this waiting, see it as an opportunity to experience God's goodness. Lamentations 3, 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the person who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. So if you're waiting and you're like, you know, it's a great opportunity. The Lord is going to be good to me in this process. And Job has to hold on to that. Even though he doesn't want to, he has to have this biblical perspective, this godly perspective. God God is going to be good to me in this process. Who thinks like that? Right. It's hard. And that I think that's the whole point of where we're going today is that all of us can be refined in this process. OK, we've got three more, Kevin. So what does it look like to wait on the Lord when your life is falling apart? Right. That's really what this thing is about. Number eight just says, wait for God's promise. I love this one. Instead of. Going your own way. Uh, Acts 1-4, if you would. I love this one in Acts 1-4. I mean, obviously, in talking to the book of Acts, where we've addressed this, what, what does Jesus tell his disciples? Hey, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. So he tells his disciples, wait for this promise. I've promised you something. But imagine if the disciples didn't do that. Imagine if all of a sudden they decided to go to Tel Aviv or to Haifa, right? You get my point. They decided to do their own thing. He says, no, wait, because I have something better. Think about this, you guys. They waited on the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. And because the disciples waited for days, because of waiting, we got blessed. The church exists because they waited. You know, when I, when I went through the Damascus Road experience for my own life, the burning bush experience and. 2001 and some of the things that I've heard, like I'm still waiting on. You can't make it happen. You just let God unfold it in his time. The last two points. Number nine, and I think this is really, really important. Continue steadfastly, kind of interesting word, in prayer. And this is really key, being watchful. I think this is one of the keys in thanksgiving, or I should say with thanksgiving. Can you go to Colossians 4.2, Kevin, please? Colossians 4, two: devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. As you are waiting, you keep praying. As you're waiting, keep giving thanks for what you have it just seems to combat all of the complaining. It seems to combat all of the fretting. It seems to combat all of the anger when you keep pressing in and praying. You know, my wife, uh, she woke up this morning and, you know, she's writing these daily words. And I'm telling you, it is a lot. Seven to 14, she's writing every single week. And then you balance out four kids and then you balance out being a wife and just meals and just managing the home. It just kind of weighs on you. So before, as she was getting up, I just kind of, I just, I just gently grabbed her hand. I just hang in here. And we just pressed in and prayed that God would allow us to enjoy this process, that we would be thankful that we get to go through Job, that we would be thankful that we get to go through the book of Acts. And it's just, it helps you. It shifts the negativity to, hey man, the glass is really full right now so as you're waiting on the Lord, please continue to pray. And number 10, I love this one. Remember, the blessings are yet to come. Can you go to Isaiah 30, verse 18, Kevin? Now, here's what's crazy. It says, therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him, look at this, are happy. (laughs) If you wait on the Lord, the blessings are to come. Now, here's the cool part about this. It could happen here and now, or it could happen eternally. Either way, the blessings are coming. So how do you wait on the Lord? I just think that there's a simple, uh, it's not a process. It's not a formula. These are just biblical truths that help us learn from Job. How do you get through this? All right, guys, that's Job 21. Guess what? We'll do it again tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks.